Yeah. You know what? And, and some of it was not what went on on stage. It was what happened backstage. Hi. Welcome to the first episode of Vermont Untapped, a podcast from the Vermont Folklife Center that explores the state through the voices of its own residents. I'm Mary Wesley. Starting in 2004, photographer Evie Lovett spent many hours backstage documenting the local drag scene at the Rainbow Cattle Co., a gay bar in Dummerston, Vermont. In 2010, Greg Shero of the Vermont Folklife Center and Evie teamed up to further document the lives and experiences of the drag queens. Together, they created the exhibit Backstage at the Rainbow Cattle Co. This episode, produced by Juliana Dunn and Erica Fergiuelli, highlights some of the voices of the Ladies of the Rainbow. Here's Evie introducing the project. I just got really interested in how clothing and dress-up enables us to try on different aspects of ourselves or different personas. My, my mentor in photography is this guy named John Willis, who lives um, in our area and has t- taught at Marlboro College for many years. And he said to me, you know, have you ever considered um, reaching out to the drag community? And I said, well, what drag community here in southern Vermont? And turns out that his wife, um, Pauline, worked at the Brattleboro Memorial Hospital with a guy named Mark who, uh, you know, would perform in a drag show at the Rainbow Cattle Co., which was on Route 5 between Brattleboro and Putney in this tiny little town of Dummerston. I mean, tiny, like population 2000 or something. So I called up. Mark, and I said, I'm interested in costume, and I'm interested in gender, and can I come and photograph um, you performing? And he said to me, you know, you don't want to come and watch us perform. You want to come backstage. And, and some of it was not what went on on stage. It was what happened backstage. Ow! Oh, yeah, and Evie, she could attest to some of that. Oh, my. When she asked us to do this little project of hers, we thought, she ain't coming back. <laughs> There's no way this straight woman is coming back to sit down here with five, six, eight gay men, strapping their junk down, putting eyelashes on. She did all right. She did all right. She did great. You know what? The first, the first few times. The first few times she was a little timid and she would like stand back and say, oh, am I all right here? But then after she realized that we were raunchy as hell and she could not offend us, she dropped that camera, strap a dress up, pull tape off, do whatever it had to take, and then she'd say, I got a picture of that. I basically, and I, I know they have told me this, so I feel like it's okay to say that, but I sort of became one of the girls. And, you know, people would ask ask me to, you know, hold their corset for them or, or you know, like, should I do this lipstick or this lipstick um, color? Evidently, they, it used to be actually every week that they got together and they would play volleyball in drag in the in the back of the Rainbow Cattle Coast. So it was a group of friends that were just hanging out and... And, you know, Candy describes, you know, her first drag gown was her sister's prom gown. Oh, back in the days when she was a size eight, you know. And 
you know, and when they look at photographs of themselves in the early days, they just kind of slapped on the makeup and they didn't shave. And, you know, it, it was not something that they took seriously. But then, you know, they became quite professional about it. We were open for about four months or so. And uh, the local AIDS project wanted to do a benefit. And we were all for it. And they wanted to do a drag show. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool, you know? We haven't seen a drag show in ages. And we got Mama to host it. And he hosted our first drag show um, and did drag for his first time. I, I believe it was his first time. Uh, and she was great. And I just saw how much fun she was having doing it. It was fantastic. Uh, I was just amazed by it. I was like, oh, what a transformation. And then, you know, taking it off, after he took off all the makeup and the hair and all that stuff, he was still the same person. You know, he was Mark again. You know, it was Mama. Uh, we called him Mama even before he did drag because, you know, he he was like somebody's mama. He told you what to do, and if you didn't like it, tell you, you know. <laughs> he didn't care. He'd move on to the next person. <laughs> but I saw how much fun he was having. I was like, oh, that's a blast. And I was like, you know what? I could do this. I was like, I, I want to try it. I wanted to try it. The first year that the cattle company was in business, they were having a Miss Cattle Company contest and they asked if I would emcee the show. Because you know what, I would get trashed and be funny. So at first I said, oh, you know what, I don't think I could do that. And I was, I'm a nurse here in Brattleboro and I was driving to work to do a 12 hour 3A to 3P shift. And I love Bette Midler. I lived in Keene at the time and I popped her Beaches, you know, CD into the car. And I started listening to Under the Boardwalk. And I had this image of this fat lady singing under the boardwalk, you know, and talk about, you know, the smell of French fries. And I said, oh, you know what, I can do this. So I went to the club next and I said, you know what, I'll do that. I said, but, and, and I'll perform, but I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not a beautiful drag queen. I'm not gonna do that. And I rented a fat lady costume with a bikini and I came out and I did under the boardwalk as this fat lady and I started after that performing a little bit more. But for a long time, I would not, like my costumes had to have panels placed in them. It would drive Kitty crazy. She'd make this outrageous gown or dress, and then she'd have to put some kind of a panel in it because I wouldn't shave my chest. Um, and a wig was certainly too hot for me to wear. So it took a while for me to get into the full because I just couldn't be that serious about it. I have always thought, you know what, all of these people are so, you know, they think that they, you know, dressed up and put all of this on and they come out and they're beautiful women. But you know what, they're really just men in dresses. <laughs> and that's kind of how I began. And so it wasn't my beauty that caught people. I think it was my, my personality. Um, I think I'm naturally an outspoken person, but put me in a dress and give me a drink and I'm a bitch and people love that. Theater. I don't want the lights to be out because I do want you to see me. So can you see me? Girl, we can see you. And can you see her? Oh, yeah. Could you put the lights down a little bit more? 
what the performers would do, and they talk about this. Um, I love it when they talk about this. They talk about how they'd come down into the basement of the Rainbow Cattle Co., you know, with their, um, you know, suits, with their, their containers of dresses and boxes of shoes maybe in hand, some there, some, some that they're bringing with them. And they come down and they're the pronoun that they are when they're out in the world, you know, generally a he. And then they start to kind of take on this, this sort of persona you know, I, I, I got to the point where I started to have a routine before shows. I started to, you know, okay, it was like putting on the, the costume and the persona and the makeup and getting into it. And, you know, Evie used to watch us and we would, we would tra- you know, come down and be like, hi, how are you? How was your day? Blah, 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 blah. And as we transformed, we were like, we would get cattier and we would get, and and, and the, the, the the jibes would go back and forth as we put on the persona. And it was like, once you were in drag, it was like you were. And, you know, I have long nails and I wear fake nails for drag because it's, it's, it's what, it's not about being female, it's about being that much more. There's Mama and there's Mark. I mean, you know, Mark gets up and puts on scrubs five days a week and goes to the office and is a nurse. Mama puts on a dress and goes on stage and, you know what, verbally beats the shit out of people if that's what I feel at the moment or somebody, you know, eggs me on to do so. But the personalities are really, I mean, you know what, what would come out of Mama's mouth would come out of Mark's mouth just as easily. And I think that that's also why... You know, when you said, I don't know whether I should call you Mark or Mama, and, you know, it's like, you know, so many people call me Mama because the same stuff flows out of my mouth. So, I have to go change into a nice person. Like, that's gonna happen. There has always been, I think, a, just a fascination. I, I think at individuals who are free to express themselves any way they damn well please. And they're not shy or scared about um, transcending and shaking up um, what were much more clearly defined gender lines in 2004 than they are now in 2017. At the time, I can remember going down to the Holyoke Mall and uh, going into Lord and & Taylor. And I was bound and determined I was going to buy an evening gown because anybody who was anybody wore an evening gown. You know, beaded, over-the-top, grand. I was so scared. Um, it definitely wasn't going to the local thrift store to find a gown that, you know, was on a rack and you could kind of pretend that you were buying it to cut up for scrap or something. So I can remember going in there and... Um, very scared, uh, very concerned about what was going to happen, how they were going to treat me. Um, and so I went over and I started looking over and um, a couple of salespeople had come over and asked me, you know, can I help you? And I'm like, oh no, just looking. And um, a third person came over and she said to me, are, are you buying something for someone special? 
And I said, no, I'm actually buying it for myself. And the funny thing is, is that in that type of store, in that type of environment, you would never expect to find somebody who was so warm and wonderful and just caring. And uh, she said to me, well, sweetie, then I think you need to try some of these on. There were just, there were many, many, many surprises that came out of these interviews. Um, Kitty's mom was, you know, a New Jersey farm, you know, raised on a New Jersey farm. Like the men did the men stuff and the women did the women stuff. Women stuff. This was a, a hardworking, hard woman. We were trying to get my mother out of the house more. You know, each one of my, my sister and I, we were trying to do things with her. And she wanted to come over and, and see the bar. You know, we had had it a couple of years. She hadn't been at the bar. And she wanted to come over this one weekend. And I told her, it's a, it's a, we're having a drag show. And she was like, like RuPaul? And I was like, yeah. And I had no idea she knew what a drag queen was. So, uh... I didn't dress that weekend because I wasn't sure how she was going to take it. She had a blast. She was buying the girls drinks. The, the, the girls were trying to get her to drink. Um, she sat right in the front row. She was just, and the sm- I had never seen this woman smile like this before. This was all new for me and my mother. Uh, so. After the show was over, we went back to the main bar and we were sitting by the bar and uh, the girls were around and they started showing her pictures and she she didn't even have to ask. She pointed at a picture and looked at me. She's like, why didn't you do it tonight? And I was like, well, uh, th- th- you know what? There just wasn't time for me to do it tonight. I had to be behind the bar. You know, I didn't write it off. So the next time, the next month, it was it was my weekend. My sister and I kind of took turns. And it was my weekend, and I invited her over for the weekend and told her we were going to do a show. And she wanted to be in the dressing room. Uh, so, you know, this you know, seventy five year old woman were taking down the basement stairs of a bar so that she could sit in the dressing room and watch all these drag queens get ready. It was a blast. By the time we were done, we had teased her hair up, you know, put it up and. She had gone through our jewelry boxes and everything, and she sat right in the row, like right in the front row, like she was a drag queen herself. And she had a blast. And from then on, she planned. She planned what show she was coming to. And uh, she got to know, she, I don't think she ever really knew any of the girls by their, their male name, but she knew every performer we had. She had pictures of all of them. And, she, uh, we bonded, I think. We, we really got to know each other a lot better then uh, through that period of time. Every one of us is, has been in that situation or heard of friends and, you know, God, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my mom and, you know, she's getting older and like, well, here's an idea. Yeah, I don't know. Just the unexpected, the beauty of that, the unexpectedness, and and you know, 
and how transformative it was for their relationship. You know, Sophia is like um, she's like a professor. I mean, she, she I feel like she can, she deconstructs things, um, the phenomenon of of drag and of performing in drag as a woman, as a, a lesbian, um, you know, performing in drag. This is going to sound really cons- like, and I don't mean it this way. I think that. There are women who dress up like drag queens because it's fun. Occasionally. I think there are very few real, true female drag queens. Drag is an art form. And I feel like I've studied it long enough now to say that I am a drag queen. There were a lot of years I wasn't. I was playing with the big fluffy boas. Um, there are very few. But I think also because people assume that drag is about gender. Drag isn't about gender. Drag is about, you know, Mama and Kitty on stage are personas outside of gender. They are they are. Drag queens are an entity, um, and they're powerful. Anybody who works a nine-to-five every day and goes home at night and says, you know what, I wish I could, that's their drag. And if they ever push to experience that, they'll find it, and they'll find that freedom and that liberation And if they don't ever push it, they'll constantly just adhere to society's norms. And the sad part is, is that everybody has the ability to be a drag queen, you know, in some form or another. And they just don't ever push themselves to get there. Some people are always going to be just pigeonholed into this one existence where you have to live up to what society says you need to be when deep in your heart you know that you're someone else and that there's someone fabulous inside you that's just aching to get out. Um, And I think that as a gay community, we take more risks because of the fact that a lot of people feel like we have nothing to lose. And so now we've said, you know what? If we're not going to fit in, I'm going to be fabulous and I'm going to be fun and I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to wear women's clothes. And if people don't like it, who cares? They didn't like me before. I'm going to like myself and I'm going to have fun. You've been listening to the voices of Miss Sophia, Candy, Mama, and Kitty, just a few of the ladies of the rainbow. Since these stories were recorded in 2010 and 11, the Rainbow Cattle Co. has closed its doors. But the drag show must go on. The group is still performing regularly around southern Vermont, Evie caught up with them earlier this month at the VFW Hall in Brattleboro. They were doing a benefit for the AIDS Project of Southern Vermont, a charity they've been involved with for years. So I didn't know that there was this whole drag tradition of supporting organizations. How did that arise for for you and and for the ladies? Originally, when we started performing at the Rainbow Cattle Company, we would 
do fundraisers for different things that were important to us, uh, the food kitchens, uh, toys for children, uh, you know, someone that came to us with a need. And as that kind of faded out, as the club closed and it kind of faded out, we would be asked to do, uh, I think, originally for the AIDS projects. And then uh, people, I think, started to realize, hey, you know what, this is a great form of entertainment. They draw great crowds. Would they do a fundraiser for us? And it has just kind of caught on. And that's where we move to now. We have people that come to us with personal needs, you know, uh, maybe family sickness or something. And we do fundraisers for that. Uh, uh, and the community, I think, has really opened up um, because more and more people that come to the shows tell other people who perhaps would not necessarily think they would enjoy this kind of entertainment. And they get here and they have a blast. And we hear that over and over. Okay. So they're saying... The Vermont Folk Life Center is about to share your story on our new podcast. What do you want people to know about you right now? Um, we ain't dead. <laughs> we're still alive. Yes. I agree. I agree. We're still alive. We're still enjoying each other. We're still enjoying raising money, helping people laugh and live. And, you know, life just continues to go on for all of us. And, you know, the ladies are just like any other family, you know, slight changes now and then. But for the most part, we're all still here and we're all still supporting each other and having a good time. This has been the first episode of Vermont Untapped from the Vermont Folklife Center. Many thanks to Evie Lovett for her help on this show. And of course, thanks to all the ladies of the rainbow. New episodes of Vermont Untapped will be released monthly, but we're giving you two in a row as part of the show's debut. Go find episode two right now to hear about deer hunting in Vermont from an insider's perspective. Everybody did it. It was, just, it was something everybody did come November. Everything shut down. You couldn't even get your carburetor fixed, for crying out loud, on first opening day of deer hunting. There was no garages open. They were hunting. <laughs> the show notes for this and other episodes are available at vtfolklife.org untapped. Our theme music, Variations on Green Mountain Petronella, was performed by Dave Hoy. The Vermont Untapped logo was designed by Kat Rizos. Vermont Untapped is produced by Erica Frigiuelli and me, Mary Wesley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>